yeah, where, where, where can they order? Where can they get, where can they get tickets online? Well, probably the where easiest we- thing to say is at ciderswig.org. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. Welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. My guest today is Dr. Right? We're going to say Dr. Julianne? Sure. We're going to do it? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Julianne Gostansky. And Julianne is the one of the original five members of the Greater Gig Harbor Foundation, right? Am I I correct so far? Okay. Yep. And... Today, we're going to talk about the, the Greater Gate Harbor Foundation, but we're also going to talk about uh, what's going to be the ninth annual Cider Swig. And um, Julianne, why don't I kick it over to you? Give, give my guests some background of you, and, and we'll start with Cider Swig. So let's just, your background, and then we'll transition into Cider Swig. Okay, that sounds good. My, my personal background? Sure. How'd you get to Gig Harbor? How did I get to Gig Harbor? It was a circuitous path. Um, So my background, my professional background is in natural resource, economics, environmental law, and policy. And um, I had been, I had, I had a couple of different lives. I've worked in the nonprofit sector, um, uh, serving as the executive director of a land trust. I have been a professor. I have been an attorney and let's see what else. And, and for a long time, I was almost a professional student, um, (laughs) gathering various degrees from various universities, but all of those degrees basically came together into, uh, natural resource economics, environmental law, and uh, policy. A lot of the work that I did in the early part of my career centered on land conservation. I've written a few books, many journal articles, uh, a lot of it for about the first two decades of my professional career centered on land conservation. And then um, through a chain of various events, I ended up as a professor in, uh, Rensel- at Rensselaer in upstate New York. Um, Rents- and soon after I was there, I was starting to have communications with a, uh, a firm that was an economics firm based out of Oregon, and they really wanted to have, uh, they wanted two things. They wanted a woman, PhD, and they wanted somebody who had a, background working with tribes and with, uh, with nonprofit organizations. So one thing led to another. I spoke, I talked with them and, um, after about four trips from New York to Washington, I, uh, ended up accepting a position. I, I did that for about eight months and then said, you know what, that's a really long drive from gig Harbor where I decided was the community for myself and my daughter who was uh, maybe nine, 10, 11, something like that at okay. the, that time. We'll call it preteen. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. And we had moved around quite a bit. Um, she, she, from three until eight, she lived in Scotland with me, where I was both a student and a lecturer. And then, uh, and then we lived in Thailand for a bit, where I was then a professor as well. And then we lived in upstate New York, uh, in Saratoga Springs, and. Then we came. We landed in Minnesota for a hot minute, which is where I actually grew up. Okay. And uh, and then we went to New York, and then <laughs> to Washington. And we, by the time we landed here, she said, "Yeah, could we just maybe stay here for a little while?" <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay. Well, let me ask you: Where did you start your college career at? Where did you get your undergrad at? Uh, my undergraduate degrees are from the University of Minnesota. So, okay. and um, yeah, so, but it was back in a day when they didn't have these uh, bifurcated or conjoined degrees. So I convinced uh, one of my advisors to work with another advisor and I created a, conjo a conjoint or whatever, a, a dual focused, uh, degree. Okay. Um, and it was basically natural resources and law. What? So, so you're, you're 17, 18 years old, you're starting college. What was the, hmm. yeah, something like yeah, that. 18. Something like that right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what was the, uh, at that early age, that was the direction you wanted to go in. What, what do you think was the motivation or inspiration to, to pursue that educational path? Um, honestly, if I have to go back all the way back to about fourth, fifth, sixth grade, um, it was a time when Rachel, Rachel Carson's book had come out and um, we talked a lot about the environment and we talked a lot about pollution. And um, I somewhere, and I really liked rocks. And I, okay. every time we <laughs> went on a family camping trip, I would haul my father in the, out to go rock hunting. Um, and then I, so I, and then I started liking the sciences. So it was kind of, as long as it had an IST at the end of it, by the time I was in sixth grade, I said, so I either want to be an environmentalist or a naturalist or a biologist or a geologist, as long as it had one of those things after it, that was okay with me. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of then. And then by the time I got through high school, I, I really started to have a keen interest in law and, and um, particularly natural resource law. There, there had been, um, some famous cases that were being resolved in the state of Minnesota. One of them had to do with the mining region and taconite and uh, asbestos and all sorts of different things. So I started having an interest then, um, but still I had told my parents, you know what though, I think I'm just, I'm gonna get married and maybe I'll be, I'll go into hair because that's what both of my parents did. And my dad said, uh, no, that's not what you're going to do. <laughs> I said, um, well, because I, I was one of those people, I 
decided I was knew what I was uh, going to get married in. I had a long time boyfriend and we were going to do this thing. And um, anyway, my dad said, well, we'll make a deal with you. <laughs> um, take, try, see if you, you know, t- try a year of university and see if you like it. See if you, you know, see if you find a different passion. But he said, I know that you are not going to be happy doing what I do, standing behind a chair 14 hours a day, chatting people up and and um, and putting up with their frustrations when they don't like what you've done to their hair or whatever. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, so I, I was kind of like, okay, well, fine, I'll fill out an application, but I'm only going to fill out one application and it's going to be to the University of Minnesota, which at that time had just started a, a program for uh, paralegals, legal assistant. So I said, okay. so I'll fill out an application and then, um, and I got accepted and then, well, the rest is kind of history. I, I buzzed through that, did, uh, went to school every quarter that I possibly could, summers included, did get married, um, but I did not go into hair and, um, <laughs> and then yeah, uh, by the time I was done with my second year, I basically said, you know, this is this is exactly what I want to do, and I needed to um, get two people to basically sign off on my proposed uh, strategic plan to get this dual, dual degree, and uh, and so it happened. Wow, that's okay. So, so that's all, you know that there was a lot of drama and other things in the middle. Of, of course. It's, <laughs> but see, so it's a couple of, you know, this, these are the takeaways that I pick up from that. Number number one, you're not the first person to be on the show that goes and says it's something like this. And I'm, I'm kind of teasing you, so don't, don't take me seriously. I liked rocks. Like you're embarrassed by it. And so, so many people like kind of say it like, oh, I like rocks. Like that's a, like something you wouldn't want to acknowledge, but Actually, there's so well, many I people that think rocks. Them, I picked up fossils. Yeah, see, rocks are there's people. People think rocks are cool, but yet if you if you say I like rocks, you well, most the people I've noticed they say it in this like self deprecating manner, like you know, <laughs> I, I don't know, I like rocks. Yeah, and so oh, that was the, mean, yeah. So it, I like the, rocks. The, I still like yeah, rocks, but yeah. See, anyway. so it's it, they're pretty. One of, one of the one of the guests I had on at the very beginning of the show couple of years ago now is a geology geology professor at central Washington university. And this guy's got a, a YouTube channel with, I don't know, multiple thousands of followers. He's had a show on PBS. And is it called? I like rocks. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's Nick. His name is Nick Sentner. And I'm talking to this guy and I'm really early on in doing the show. He's like my seventh guest. And I was really nervous. I hadn't, I hadn't, well, really quickly. So I now, like you and I talked on the phone before we do this, we kind of have a little familiarity. I didn't do that. Well, this guy, basically, we get on the we get on the call like this, and he goes, "Okay, let's go, hit record." And I'm like, "Oh," and he just kind of took over because he's he's very he's very comfortable in front of a, a camera and a microphone, and we're talking, and we're having this hour long ish conversation, and, and during one one part of it, he's talking about have you have you been to the enchantments? In, in 
Okay, you've been to the enchantments, right? Okay. So he's talking about the rocks from the enchantments coming from down in Baja, California, originally. And I went, whoa, wait a second, stop. He goes, oh, you're listening. And so he's talking about how, you know, through millions of years of the earth shifting, those rocks that were originally created down basically in Baja, California, if you will, have been pushed up north, up into Canada in some ways. And I just thought that was fascinating. Here he's making rocks a very, it's fascinating. So it's, it's just, it's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) It was probably a little bit, I was a little bit obsessive compulsive, but um, (laughs) I had a rock tumbler. I made jewels. I, (laughs) I, one camping trip, we were in Montana and uh, I just, I was hell bent to find a Montana moss egg and we got into this campground right around dusk. My parents said, well, we really need to have some dinner first. And I, you know, I was like, okay, well, I also have two siblings and they were younger. I was probably around 12 at the time. And so we have dinner. It's getting darker, getting darker. My dad said, oh, yeah, it's just no problem. We'll go, you know, the, the park ranger had told him kind of where to go um, to find these uh treasured Montana moss agates, but we had to go down to like a stream bed. We had to climb through uh, a barbed wire fence to get there. (laughs) And we're down there just with a flashlight and a bucket. And suddenly out of absolutely nowhere, we hear this just like mooing. And my dad turns around with the flashlight and there's this big bull like right there right in our face and we oh. we never we ran very fast and um, <laughs> i i got my my pants caught on the barbed wire getting out of there um probably would have been fine if we just stayed still but we didn't and so we kind of got chased away and then i mean that's kind of when how i learned that in the west uh there is grazing on public lands, which I have come to actually analyze in my professional life, <laughs> but I never thought I would be doing that. Uh, and I, we also the, did, did not you, think that we would be, pardon? Did you find the rock? Uh, yes, we found a couple oh. of them, but we were not okay. down there for very long. And so <laughs> um, the next effort to get a Montana moss egg. It was a lot easier. We just went into a rock shop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Way easier. All right. Last question of, of, of your, of the backstory, if you will, you moved to Gate Harbor. Your daughter said she wanted to kind of settle down. Is your daughter in Gate Harbor still, or is she, is she now moving around the world and traveling? Uh, world? She has moved around the world and <laughs> she has come back to Gate Harbor. Okay. Uh, yeah, she right. she did her undergraduate degree at a small, um, duly accredited American Swiss university in in oh. Lugano, Switzerland. Came back, uh, did her master's degree at the University of Washington, uh, MBA, and worked for a short period of time in commercial real estate, and decided that was not her gig at all and uh, 
And when she resigned, the board of directors from the foundation were like, do you, what do you think? We'd like to speak with Ariel. And uh, they hired her. Oh, okay. And I'm right. still a volunteer 16 years later. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's, a, that's quite a fascinating backstory. Now we're going to, we're going to jump to cider and we're going to, that just seems like a really large jump from, from law and environmental work and that to jump to a cider. But when we talked on the phone, uh-huh. if my memory serves me right, the idea of the cider swig. So this is the ninth annual one, right? I think you took a year or two off because of the, the word that we don't like to well, say. Well, technically we still did it. Okay, that's right. Festival in a Virtual. box. <laughs> festival in a box. Okay. But now this started as a as a fundraiser to help fund the programs for the foundation, correct? Uh yes, to specifically provide funding for environmental um environmental grants. It's a, okay. a an environmental grant program called Lou Windsor. Memorial Environmental Grant Program. Okay. So yes, so, it funds everything from environmental education to on the ground conservation, restoration, things that um, fundamentally benefit the KGI watershed, which is the watershed in which we live. Okay. So this year, it's going to be held at the LeMay Museum in, in Tacoma, which I think is kind of humorous that a gay harbor organization is coming across the bridge to Tacoma, but I kind of give you a hard time. But it's because it makes it logistically, I, it makes sense. It's a good location, lots of parking. Um, yes. It, I mean, it, basically, it, the festival got too large for the location that we had been at um, in Gig Harbor. Uh, there just wasn't enough on-site parking and the parking started spilling into the arterial roads and and the last year that it was in Cake Harbor it also rained pretty heavily the morning before so we really so the fields were quite mucky not being specifically designed um, for people to be trouncing around on them when when they're wet and uh, and we looked uh, I mean, it was after that cider swig in um, 2019 that we started really evaluating where, what, how are we going to do this? If this festival keeps growing, how are we going to do this? And and we're all volunteers, and we had talked about, well, maybe if we just try and spread it out over two days and we all looked at one another. It's like, <laughs> oh man, our bodies hurt so bad after one day. How are we going to do two? <laughs> and so, uh, oh, no. so we looked and we even looked to like South Kitsap to see if there was a possible, a possible location, but it just, it wasn't, I mean, when you're bringing that somewhere between two to three and a half, 4,000 people in for an afternoon of fun. That's a lot of cars. Um, This is America. A lot of people don't put five or six people in a car and head anywhere. It's one or two, right? (laughs) So you're anticipating for, okay. So 
what we've got for this year, and depending on when somebody's listening to this, but we're talking in early September of 2022. The the festival this year is the September 24th. And for this year, you're anticipating a couple three, thousand. four thousand, a couple thousand people. A couple thousand. One of the things that we aren't doing this year, which was kind of the gem of, or one of the gems, the cider is the gem, but one of the nice things about what we did when we put this all together was we said it, we wanted it to be family friendly. Mm -hmm. So many festivals like this, I mean, they are 21 and over and that's, but we wanted it to be family friendly. Well, not that we were trying to encourage young children to taste cider because obviously that's against the law. (laughs) So, but we found a way to have a separate cider garden where people could go and enjoy, but then we would have all sorts of different games, bounce houses, um, apple, like a big apple uh, launching with targets out in the back. Uh, pie huh. contests, uh, just okay. p- face painting, you know, uh, like a small town festival. Okay, and that uh, that was a huge draw for families. And and the other thing that we offered that was really unique is we call it the applet zone, and you can basically for a very small fee that was like eight or nine dollars drop your sprogs off for for up to um an hour and you can then go to the cider garden and then you can come back and pick them up and while they were off doing their thing in the applet zone they would be playing games doing face painting uh having a snack, whatever, um, under the foundation is a nature-based preschool. And so our teachers would basically run that drop-off. And so you had to be potty trained. So kind of like ages three up until 10, um, the older kid, you know, the older kids didn't necessarily want to be there, but we found ways to make it fun for everybody. Okay. And so are you doing that this year or is that? Is we that are been... not doing that this year. Um, okay. Just out of caution, really, and trying to, there were, there, kids are kids and there's so many touch points. And we thought, well, we just don't, you know, we don't, we don't want to be a, uh, a place where there's all sorts of super spreading happening. It sure, may happen. Sure. I don't know, but people, we, we just thought this would be a safer path for the first year okay. back. All right. Well, let's, 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 I kind of got ahead of us here. So let's talk about the history of, of the cider swig. So how did, how did your organization come up with the idea and how is the, how has the festival changed over nine years? So, it's grown. Yeah, it has grown quite a bit. I think we had 600 in our first year, something like that. Okay. Um, well, the idea basically was spawned out of a uh, spawn, spawned, spawn. <laughs> it was spawned out of uh, 
something that I saw in a air flight magazine while coming back from Pennsylvania, which is where I actually worked in the land conservation field for a long time. And, uh, and they were just starting a, a new festival and it was called pour the core. This is a cider festival. I'm like, we can do that. We had helped to start the gig Harbor beer festival, but um, that took a different path. And we said, well, we still need to do something to raise, you know, at least 20 or $30,000 so that we can continue this um, grant program. And so when I got back, I brought the magazine and I said, and the way the foundation is set up is we have five core areas, arts and culture, uh, education, parks and environment, uh, recreation and social capital. And social capital is kind of a uh, catch-all for the, the work that we do related to uh, local food insufficiency or hunger and um, our senior center. So anyway, we had a CAB meeting, Parks and Environment, which we call P&E CAB. We had a meeting uh, within a day or two of when I got back and I pull out the magazine. I said, I, I think we should do a cider festival. And they kind of all looked at me like, cider, like English cider? I said, yeah, well, kind of. But And then we talked a little. And I had spent, um, well, I lived in Scotland for close to 11 years of my life. And I came to know and like cider. But, um, but cider was just starting uh, a resurgence in this country. And so... I'm like, I think it could work. I think it could be good. And anyway, we kind of got everybody to consider it. And with then we started planning for it. And then it was kind of by, we do a lot of things in groups or small groups. And so even the name of the event took many different group meetings before <laughs> we <laughs> came up with Cider Swig. Uh, you know, it's like, no, we can't do a gig harbor cider festival. No, we wanted to be more general than that. So, okay. So that first year now, let's see, help me with math. That'd be what, 2014. So there was nowhere near the number of cider makers in Washington state that there are today. There wasn't, there, it was growing, but it wasn't, you didn't have, what is it? There's a hundred and don't, quote me on this 130 plus cider makers yes are, there's many yeah. many many yeah. and, and, it, and they're of all sizes and dimensions right so that first year was it so you had 12. this idea yeah okay so you had this idea but did were the cideries on board did when you started they were, approaching <laughs> they were <laughs> yes and okay i think i mean that first year was also the year that my daughter turned 21. So um, in kind of lining up the, the most nearby ciders, we spent her birthday weekend up in uh, Port Townsend, and then we visited several cideries, Eagle Mount and Alpen Fire, and maybe there was one other one. Probably Finn River. Finn River, that's it. And mm -hmm. Finn River was still back on the farm. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, the, so they were, so we visited and we sipped cider and, and introduced them to 
this festival left a piece of paper with them. And, <laughs> and then we kind of did the same another weekend with some friends. Um, and so that first year there were 12 that participated and the right. furthest away was pair up from East Wenatchee. Okay. And they were, they had, I think that they had just gotten started. I mean, Mark, I believe it is. It's Mark and Kevin, two brothers. Mark comes with a couple of kegs, doesn't even know how much he should be charging for the kegs. Because, I mean, the deal was, is you pour the cider and at the end of the day, we'll, you know, we'll, will reimburse you for whatever cider you have sold. Plus we had a little tent area where people could buy things that they liked when they were there. But at, at that time, not even all of those, the ones who participated weren't all doing bottling or canning. So, so it was only those who actually were a little bit further along in the process that had stuff to, to buy, but yeah, but it was a good day. It was 12 tents and yeah, about 600 people. And, and, uh, and we all had a good time and we said, okay, this worked. And so, (laughs) and, and we went forward from there and there's still a couple of people who were part of that very first cider swig who also have been, um, involved in various levels uh, with the formation of the organization. Um, so there's a few diehards like myself who just don't know if we don't know any better or <laughs> or what. But, <laughs> but we have a couple of people who have been around all 16 plus years. Wow. All right. So year two. How many how many cider cideries showed up for year two? I think we were up to sixteen then. Okay, that's good growth. And then I mean, then it, then it went to like twenty four, and it kind of hung around twenty four for for a number of years. I mean, you know, most of these enterprises are small businesses, and mm-hmm. many of they them are. are not the. Um, they're not their primary source of income. I mean, it's changing for some of them. It now has become, but it didn't, you know, Uh, but many of them is, you know, there's all sorts of different stories that we learn, you know, it's like from people who are doing it now and with their brother, but they're retired (laughs) to people who are, you know, had an idea and they're like, Oh, okay, well, this is, this is fun. And now they're, they're doing, uh, they quit their day jobs and, uh, and now they're doing cider. So this year, who, who is, who are, what cideries are going to be at cider fest or cider, not cider, cider swig. Like, well, I'm going to call it cider fest all along just because that's just, <laughs> but anyway, cider swig, which is actually a much better name. But who who are you? Uh, who's agreed to participate this year? So this year we have um, let's see, we have about thirty two, maybe it's thirty four. Wow. I don't know. The number keeps kind of changing, um, mm-hmm. and 
as in past years, um, the predominance of uh, cideries attending are from Washington and Oregon. We used to actually have more coming from Oregon, but I think, you know, life has changed for everybody and just even the idea of traveling this far and burning up so much gas, who knows what, but there's also, so in both states, there's that all of all of the dimensions of cider making have changed and a lot of them now have their own establishments right they have a tap room or they have a little restaurant with uh, with with a tap room so mm-hmm. a lot of things have changed but we have two town cider house 19 acres cider ace cider which is the first ever california cider that okay. we will have avid bad granny bauman's um, Black Fleet Brewing, which is not cider at all, but they are one of our local um, uh, brewers, craft craft beer, and okay. they will be okay. doing both beer and they also make um, root beer and cream soda. I think it is. So they'll be pouring oh, okay. some non-alcoholic okay. beverages. Bushel and Barrel, which is from Kitsap County, uh, Channel Marker Cider, Cockerel, which is Cockerel Puyallup. is from Pierce Puyallup. County. Puyallup. Puyallup. Mm-hmm. Yep, Puyallup. Uh, mm-hmm. Discovery, uh, which is a newer cider, cidery uh, based out of Tacoma, Dragon's Head from Vashon, Fierce County, another Puyallup-based cidery, Finn River, um, High Desert Fermentation, which is a new one that just signed on from uh, the Yakima area. Incline oh, okay. Locust. Uh, we have one distiller, Mastro Giannis, distillery oh, okay. winery. Yep. Uh, Millhouse, Nashi Orchards Offset, Old Swede. I think Old Swede is probably from the furthest away. He's from up in the Tenasket area. Oh, okay. So it's like a five and a half hour drive. Yeah, you can't get to Tenasca in less than five hours from anywhere, even yeah. next door. Tenasca is one of those places in the world that you just can't get to, and I got to go there tomorrow. So, <laughs> One Tree, uh, Pair Up, Puget Sound, Rattlesnake Hills, Renaissance Orchards, Republic of Cider, Seattle Mead, uh, Schilling, yep. Sigs Brewing, which is another uh, local beer maker, um, Sky River Mead. And wine, snowdrift cider, spin cider, and tart cider, and that's that's who we have right now. Uh, we something inevitably inevitably happens every year where something happens where people suddenly can't make it, um, and somebody new shows up. So we do plan on having ab- about thirty to thirty two-ish cideries plus these other few um, libationistas. But see, that's smart because not everybody likes cider. Not everybody likes wine. Not everybody likes beer. So if you were having just a beer festival and all you had was beer, somebody, my wife might not want to go along. Okay. Whereas if it's a wine thing, I might not want to go along. So having something that I might enjoy or somebody else might enjoy is, I think, smart. Yeah, we started doing that a few years ago. And it was more like, well, you know what? They're local, like heritage distilling. Mm -hmm. They're local. Um, Now they're huge. 
but when we got started, they were in their process of becoming huge. Or there's Olala uh, Vineyards and Winery. Um, it, there's, there was a few local things that we said, well, let's at least, you know, they're local. So let's mm-hmm. give them a, let's ask them if they're interested. So we did, we started it a few years ago and it's never quite the same mix of um, folks, but we have some cideries who are in our 100% club. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So who's, who's in the hundred percent club? Uh, pair up is, okay. um, dragon, dragon's head, okay. uh, Finn river. Um, who else? Snowdrift. Okay. Um, trying to think, I don't think two towns, Portland cider would have been if they were in this year, but they're not, um, and one tree missed a year, so they don't get counted. I, yeah, I think that's it, basically. But still, you've, they wouldn't keep coming back if it wasn't good exposure for their product. Yeah. And, and, and so, so if you're expecting 2,000 people to come through, and you're going to have, let's say, 32 booths of beverages. You're also having food. Yes, eight food trucks. Okay. Eight food trucks. Uh huh. Everything from so, kind of classic burgers to uh, we have uh, Uncle Mike is bringing Filipino comfort food. Uh, Starving Marvin hot dogs, barbecue, Polish cuisine on wheels. I am par- going to have to test their pierogies. Wait a second. So, <laughs> so real, real Polish, Polish cuisine. Yeah, the really? tr- the food truck is called Polish Cuisine on Wheels. You know, pierogies, kielbasa. I, maybe they'll have stuffed cabbage. I don't know. The reason I'm asking you is, is an earlier guest uh, is a chef, and she she was born in Poland, grew up in Chicago, moved to Seattle. And we were talking all about how she got started cooking. And so it was cooking in the house, you know, for the family and all this stuff. And she was, you know, grandma was preparing, you know, traditional Polish food and blah, blah, blah. We're, we're talking about all this stuff. Well, she's now, she has a pop-up business and she does Austin, Texas inspired breakfast tacos. So nothing to do with (laughs) Poland at all. And the tacos are amazing. I, I went to the Lake Forest Park, um, a farmer's market where she was at one day and it was, I was just like, wow, these are delicious. But anyway, when we were talking, she, she kind of was talking about Polish food and I'm just like, I'm going to give her a call and say, Hey, you should go down to Tacoma and see what's there. You know? Um, yeah. It's she, uh, I think the food truck is out of the Seattle area. Um, it's not, okay. it, it, this is the first time they will be working with us. And anyway, okay. but um, yes, Polish cuisine and uh, all right. And the pie bar, which is both has savory and sweet pies, uh, 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 Jamaican food, uh, Jigos. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, yeah, so uh, quite, and every year we have a slightly different mix of food. Um, Arnold's Happy Days, which is classic burgers, wings, fries, that kind of stuff. They will have been with us a few years as the same with Boss Mama's Kitchen. And she does some awesome grilled cheese. Uh, sandwiches. 
And then live music is more local musicians? Uh, yes, some of them are very local. Uh, two of the groups are actually from Gig Harbor. So the Shy Boys, um, which is our closing band, they, they're kind of everything from, I don't know, kind of like country pop. Mostly, mm-hmm. I would say mostly like rock and roll um, covers from any, anywhere from the 50s through today. Okay. Um, and spare time, uh, spare time is they are dueling fiddles, uh, twin fiddles, two women okay. who have been fiddling um, together for a long time. They don't have a huge like um, web presence, but they're pretty mm-hmm. awesome and uh, and they're local and um, and they support the foundation. They I say they. Uh, Charlie Meacham and her husband Chuck uh, have been supporters of the foundation in many different ways. And Chuck was actually on the first team that helped organize the Cider Swigs. So um, anyway, and and then we have two let not Giga Harbor based, but Seattle based. So kind of bigger, uh, bigger bands first time ever really um the apollo mm-hmm. trio which is a great group um really um fiery approach to uh, lots of different genres of songs but doing them doing them in their own way um and okay. it, it, it's jazz basically um and then i came to learn that the uh, lead uh, James Apollo is actually from Minnesota. So I'm like, okay, well, there's there's another person from Minnesota. <laughs> and then um, Birch Piera and the Gin Joints, which is um, probably the biggest group. And by, by not like in number, but just like in kind of the their territory that they cover. Okay. Um, and they have been regulars on KNKX and... Um, Again, um, kind of a, a, a blend between jazz, Americana, swing, rock and roll. A very cool group, and um, and we're really excited. I mean, it's it's an awesome lineup. Uh, the music is going to be awesome, and and you know, kind of four quite different bands. Everything from two people fiddling to five five person rock and roll. So an event of this size with, you know, 34, 32, 34 vendors, food trucks, musicians, super easy to put together. Probably took you guys a weekend to coordinate everything and then spend the rest of the year doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, absolutely. Right. Okay. <laughs> no. It, it's an all year process. I, I, I'm going to guess it's an all year process, it, but it, it should be, but we usually have like two months of recoup time. We're like, okay, we, we did okay. that. It happened. And then by the time, <laughs> by the time our, we forget how much we hurt the day after we're, mm-hmm. we're back at it by January. So really from this, uh, you know, nine months worth of prep and coordinating and, in all of that to get this together and for an event that really is 
what, six and a half hours because it's 1130 to six. The gates open at 1130, but only if you purchased your ticket in advance. If you didn't purchase your ticket in advance, you'll be waiting until 12 and in a line. So, okay. And that's, (laughs) that's if we have tickets left, we only purchase so many little cider cups. So that's how we define how many, when, when it, when we sell the last little cider uh, tasting cup, that's it. Mm-hmm. We're sold out. You're, you're sold out. Yeah. Okay. But, but all this effort is for, uh, you know, a six and a half hour experience maximum for the, for the audience, not right. for you. It's a long experience. It has, has, is this your first year? This is not the first year at LeMay, correct? Did you do it's our first LeMay? year with live festival at LeMay. So after okay. we looked and looked back in 2019, through early, early, I mean, 2019, we said, okay, we really do need to try and do find a different location because of so many things. And then uh, okay. a little thing called COVID came along around March not familiar with that (laughs) 2020 and then we were like oh oh maybe we won't be having a festival you know I think everybody was we still were a little bit hopeful for a while and then we said okay that's definitely not going to work so we basically it's like so how do we how do we still make this happen but not in a way where everybody comes together to, you know, commune and uh, cavort with one another. Um, And so we came up with the festival in a box. And so we had already signed a contract with LeMay to do Mm -hmm. the festival there. So in 2020, we, what we did was we said, we basically contacted our cider makers and said this is our plan who's in (laughs) and so then we (laughs) created like two or three different sizes of kits and then we also contacted um, a local barbecue place and uh, a um, a local caterer who's been so good to us over so many years and we said you know we have no idea how many kits will sell. We have no idea how many people will sign up to either get a barbecue meal or a charcuterie board, but this is our plan. And so they, you know, they came along basically. (laughs) And so, yeah, it was kind of, you could go online, order the size kit you wanted. And if you wanted to have an add-on meal, then you'd just drive through, pick it up, take it home and um, celebrate cider oh. uh, at your house with and your friends and family. So, so I'm, I'm, this is me just guessing. I'm going to guess that the two, the two festivals in a box were not as successful. Not as many people participated as would attend a live oh, event. Correct. That's yeah. my guess. I mean, I think yeah. we, but yeah. were they, did you feel like they were successful? Successful. We felt they were successful in a couple of ways. We were still able to put money into the um, into the environmental grant program, so we were still able to award um, 
grants, which that grant program has historically also been jointly funded um, between the foundation, um, Pierce County, uh, and Peninsula Light has been is actually the founder of it. So, like a lot of things that now happen under the foundation, they got a they had a life that started somewhere else. Um, in any okay. case, we now manage the fund and the uh, and, and the grant program. So um, I can't remember where the question started, but yes, we were so we were successful in that we were still able to carry out the okay. intent, and we still helped these small businesses who were, um, you know, if if suddenly you you're even if you had a tap room, those had to be closed, right? Absolutely, no. Every, I mean, everybody was. I mean down um and so and the caterer i mean so you're not having parties you're not having <laughs> and, and no. the barbecue joint i mean pretty much you had to figure out a new way to do things so we felt like we were helpful in that regard you know not well, a, and, and a little bit anyway so the the most overused phrase of the covid experience is the we pivoted during covid yes we did pivot <laughs> but what's been interesting to me as I, as I continue to have conversations with people like yourself, not saying that COVID wasn't devastating. It absolutely was. But people's response to COVID, things that have come about that are positive have been really interesting in so many ways. Businesses that um, they were forced to go online, let's say. You know, it was a matter of, not because they wanted to, it was a matter of survival. And now, now their online presence is, is a, is probably bigger revenue generator than their, their brick and mortar location or how musicians started releasing music differently to stay, stay relevant and, and, and stay, um, practicing their craft and trying to stay, you know, right. afloat financially, all, all these things that people um, that people did uh, across all sorts of different uh, genres. Right. And that's, that's fascinating. But this year you expect 2000 people ish. We're just going to, you know, yeah. depending on how many little, little red, I'm joking. We're going to call them little red solo cups. Um, <laughs> they're not, <laughs> does, they're not those, but it's a, a mini wine glass, basically. Mini wine glasses. Okay. Does, so the, the collaboration are using LeMay's facilities, not the, not the museum itself, but you're using the outdoor park, correct? Correct. A, it, yes. It's on Hobfield, which is, um, uh, is actually specially designed to withstand the kind of wear and tear that having like a, you know, traveling car show. Um, and right. it, it, it has special grit, even though it's grass, it's got special gritting and the water flows through and down into basically a system that cleans the water and pumps it back to somewhere else. But um, so from that standpoint, we don't have to worry about that mud situation if it should rain. Um, the And the field is um, 
yeah, it's, it's very specifically designed to withstand cars and trucks and uh, a lot of traffic. A lot and more weight than uh, yes. a few yeah. few kegs of cider. Does so? Does the event? Is there a way? Does so? Are people? Do you anticipate since you're first year doing this? But do you anticipate people going from the from cider swig into the museum and checking out the cars or well, vice versa? So. I mean, that's one mm-hmm. of our deals with the uh, with LeMay is that um, you can actually get in in conjunction with our event, you can get a reduced um, fare. Okay. Uh, museum pass, $13.50 okay. versus $18 at LeMay's door. Um, okay. And those last, they, they, if you actually decide, well, maybe not today, um, they, they never expire, but it also okay. allows you to go inside and use the bathroom as opposed to the porta porta potty. Well, and the one downside that you're, you've overlooked, though, is you're not allowed to take cider into the museum. You Correct. can't go walking around and looking at the cars while you're sipping cider. That's just not going to be allowed. No, that is they're, not. They're, that is they're not, not going to let you have that fun. Yeah. Okay. So but we have other kinds of fun, like we have right, Battle of the right. Pies, and we have Hammerschlag, and Apfel okay. so, so. We're, we're gonna we're gonna put a pin into the cider swig. So before we continue on, I would. What else about the cider swig should we bring up, if anything? And where can people find out and get tickets ahead of time? Because you're you're kind of doing that scarcity thing and saying you might sell out at the door. Yes, we <laughs> typically reserve only 200 tickets for at gate for day of. Okay. And uh, yeah, we're planning on a sellout based on uh, current numbers. Um, That's great. So. Uh, what else should they know? Well, it, yeah, where, where, where can they order? Where can they get, where can they get tickets online? Well, probably the where easiest we... thing to say is at ciderswig.org. Um, the festival got yeah. so big that we thought it really deserved to have its own website. Um, okay. Otherwise you can go to the greater gig Harbor foundations website and, um, we have a page dedicated to the cider swig there. Um, if you if you're on Eventbrite, you can simply type in Cider Swig and it'll pop right up. Okay. Um, so that's where you can buy tickets. Um, and we'll put links in the show notes for this too. So, okay. Great. So what I'd like to to circle back to is is the Greater Gig Harbor Foundation. What was the motivation? So you're one of the original creators of this. What was your what was the original group's inspiration and motivation to start a foundation? (laughs) Uh, So I think I had lived in Gig Harbor all of four years and I decided to attend a local meeting at one of the schools, uh, one of the elementary schools, because there was... It, we were just newly having a park district. I believe it was in 2005. The voters of, of the Gig Harbor area basically voted to have our own park district. And they, and so suddenly, boom, we have our own park district. We had one employee 
who was the park director, and we had one part-time employee, and the park district didn't have an office. Um, they worked out of the kitchen of the one part-time employee. And anyway, <laughs> okay. there, there, was a, there, were, there was a group of citizens in our community who came together at the inspiration of one um, gentleman who's no longer with us, but his name was Vernon Young. And there was a 19 or 20 acre parcel of land very near where I lived at the time. And they were having a, a community meeting about this 20, 18, 19, 20 acre parcel of land that basically he coerced five families to come together to help buy it from a developer so that it could become a park one day. And, okay. and since right. I had this long history of working with um, land conservation um, and, and uh, land conservation and community, uh, community efforts to do a wide variety of things, but everything from working on historical lands to um, parks, I thought, well, I'll go to this. And I had just recently come off of uh, tearing my uh, Achilles tendon. So I hobbled in on crutches, listened, and there was a, I don't know, it was in a, it was in a elementary um, school cafeteria. So they had the cafeteria tables out and there was, I, don't, I would say, 20, 30 some people there. And they were talking about the vision of, this park and, and the, these people who bought it with this idea that in three years they'd get their money back out of it because it would become part it would become owned by the park district. And anyway, so the park district's new executive director was talking about kind of the vision and one of the representatives from this group of um, five different families who basically bought it. And then Vernon Young, they all kind of talked about it, talked about the vision. And there was a brief discussion about potentially forming a foundation. Does anybody know how to do that? I, I made, I guess, <laughs> a serious error in raising my hand. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I talked a little bit with the kind of, we're doing some round table discussions, just like, you know, what, do, what do we, well, at the time they were very focused on making sure that there were additional fields like ball fields and soccer fields, because this land was actually in the most densely populated area of the unincorporated area of Gig Harbor with there isn't a ball field, uh, except for at Artendale Elementary School, there isn't a ball field or a soccer field or anything within, uh, within that, this part of Gig Harbor. And so it all seemed to make good sense. And anyway, so it was, by the time I got home about 15 minutes later, Vernon Young called me and talked to me for about 45 minutes 
And one thing led to another, and then we were having meetings every week. Then by March, we decided we were going to start uh, a 501c3 foundation to help raise the money to acquire this parcel of land. And that's how it all started. And And we were all volunteers and I did the, I worked to do the incorporating of the 501c3 papers. And we had a small board of four people, five people. I can't remember enough, enough to have a board, but we also had a, a good group of people who were very interested in making this all happen. And we met practic I mean, for a long time, it was almost every week. And then it was like every few weeks. And then how are we going to raise, you know, basically we said, okay, we'll raise $500,000 to match an RCO grant that we helped put together. And then if we get the RCO grant and the $500,000 from this brand new organization that had ever worked to raise a penny, <laughs> then the park district only had to come up with $235,000 and boom, the deal was done and it happened. So, what is an RCO grant? Uh, the Washington State uh, Recreation and Conservation Office. So you have to, okay. basically, you have to have matching funds. Okay. Um, and so, so this wouldn't have come together if, if your fledgling organization wouldn't have been able to fundraise a half a million dollars. Um, well, yes. I mean, basically, the park district would have had to... F- the park district was brand new. They would have had to figure out how they were going to get money out of a budget that they really hadn't yet okay. had in place. So. And so let's jump forward to now to 2022. What is the greater gig Harbor foundation involved with? Well, over the, <laughs> so we're 16 years old um, this year and over the course of time, we, we ha- we've evolved significantly. Um, we start out, started out being quite specifically uh, dedicated to things that were tied to parks and the environment. But as we were coming into, I think, like our fifth year, maybe fourth, um, there was a group of community members who were very interested in doing a boundless playground. And this was the first effort that it's still in a park, right? But it started taking us into an area that was more about meeting social and other types of needs in the community. So, um, So we worked, I mean, the park district said, well, we have a site and we were going to, you know, we were just going to do a regular playground, but we have this group of, I'm I'm just going to call it out and say group of moms, because it was a group of mothers who um, had children of varying abilities. Some of them had cerebral palsy, you know, they were in wheelchairs or they had other, or they had sensory, um, uh, disabilities. Um, but they had, you know, they were some autistic, they were kind of all over the board and a boundless playground is about enabling 
uh, children of all abilities to get inside the playground and play alongside one another, learning from one another. Um, so you have children who are um, who have varying abilities playing right, you know, right. playing alongside their peers, basically. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that with that, we during the middle of that effort, we started getting lots of then different questions about, well, would you, would your organization, what about this? What about this? What about this other thing? <laughs> and so uh, we revised our name, uh, having started as PenMet Foundation, and that was not because it was in any way tied to the park district, which was Peninsula Metropolitan Park District. It was more okay. tied to a historical name for this region, which was the Peninsula Metropolitan Region. And so um, we were always getting confused. Uh, people would call and think we were the park district. And we were like, no, but we raise money for them. <laughs> okay. um, so anyway, so we became the Greater Gig Harbor Foundation. And then we did in 2011 and 12, did a big like community visioning multi-year process with 35 or so different organizations and entities involved, which basically moved us into the shape that we now are with the five different core areas that we focus on. And uh, so, yeah, we kind of cover the gamut of things that make a community um, a good place to live, work, raise your family. Um, the things now under the foundation, we have a nature-based preschool. We have um, an environmental sanctuary project that was actually started by a group of retired um, people who live in a special retirement community here in Gig Harbor. Aaron's Key, and then uh, we have a senior center under the foundation. We have an environmental program called EnviroCorps, which actually was uh, another effort that was started by Ver said Vernon Young. Um, when Vernon passed away um, fairly unexpectedly in, I want to, gosh, I want to say it was 2015. Uh, his family really wanted to make sure that EnviroCorps uh, carried on doing the types of things that he was so passionate about. So it's kind of, it's trail maintenance, road cleanups. Uh, we do invasive species removal on properties. We've done some very massive cleanups, removing over two tons of uh, garbage and human waste from a homeless encampment, cleaning it up and restoring it. Um, so EnviroCorps does a lot of different things. We're working on a kind of a secret project um, and we'll be doing a, a local cider from with um, Locust Cider, which is now based here in Gig Harbor. So it's going to be a community cider project. Um, okay. Lots of different things we're involved in. So we've moved in many different ways to try and um, help meet diverse needs in our community. 
So what do you anticipate the future to look like for the organization? What's on the, I mean, you've already just, you know, just kind of disclosed the, the secret cider, but what's, what does, you know, what's a five-year road plan look like? Well, one thing that we've been working on already for five years is um, what we call the community campus. Um, there is a landowner here in our our community who has offered us this once in a lifetime, really, opportunity to move our uh, the foundation's offices and our nature-based preschool to a property that he bought in the end of 2017, I think. Okay. Uh, and that's been, that's been interesting. I mean, working to basically uh, take a almost nine acres of land and two old homes and repurpose them for, uh, for the nature-based preschool. And then, uh, learning gardens and the uh, office and information area for the foundation has taken us down some pathways we never imagined going with our county, but um, we think <laughs> we think we're there. We went through a conditional use uh, process and we have a, a, a plan for um, a community campus that will serve our community um, forever. So. That's great. All right. That's, that's wonderful. What about cider swig? What do you, what's, what's the hope for cider swig moving forward? Do you, do, would you, you may hang up on me when I, when I <laughs> ask this question, do you, th- do you think you might turn it into a, a semi-annual event with, is there. It, well, probably no, it- because one of the things <laughs> that came out of the pandemic period was this effort to still try and raise enough funds for the environmental grant program. So Mm -hmm. we, we broke after one learning experience where we said, okay, that wasn't quite enough money. So in 2021, when we did think we were going to have a festival and then suddenly we're like, Oh no, we're not going to have a festival. (laughs) We broke that into basically something that we did in the early part of July. And then we still did the, the drive through cider swig. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that we, the first year we called it summer swig in 2021. Then we said, well, that's getting everybody confused, especially like we're asking for sponsorships or grants or whatever. And they think that we're still talking about cider swig and we're talking about a whole new different, event kind of the same but but different and so we evolved to this year in our first year of live events again it's called summer sips and summer sips is uh, anything you can pour out of a bottle and drink from the 253 so we had kombucha we had um we had some beer we had uh, wine, three different wineries participated. We had mead, uh, we had cider, uh, but it, and what else? Uh, well, Blackfeet 
Black Fleet uh, also did their cream ale. Cream ale? Okay. No, not cream ale. Cream ale is a beer. Uh, vanilla cream soda, something. Cream soda. Oh, okay. Cream soda. Cream soda. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So, so no, we probably won't because I've already been the acquisition has already been made that I created yet another event for us. <laughs> it's like, I didn't create it. And you, we all said it was good and it worked and everybody liked it. <laughs> so, so just to clarify, so that anybody on the, anybody in your organization's listening, is it, is it a correct assumption that I'm going to make here that not one person does not have the ability to sign the entire group on for an event? Correct. It has to be voted on. Yeah, see, so you didn't do it. I, I did it. You, P- oh, they said, you cannot oh, we, be held responsible. No, it was like, oh, Summer Swig was a hit. Let's do it again. Let's, but, you know, when we come back, let's, I was like, okay. So it's different in that it's held in our uptown Gig Harbor area, which is basically a, a small shopping plaza area. And mm-hmm. then we had um, live music, and it was 12 to 7. And um, and we worked with the restaurants in the area to work out a deal where basically they gave us a portion of like 10% or 20% of proceeds if the if whomever came through and had a viable ticket front to um, to Somerset. Okay. All right. See, yeah. So we yeah, again we a- tried to help make sure that we weren't too impactful, like uh, on everyone. But it was it was a good event for first year live, and we vowed to do it again. But I was yes, somebody told me I created a new event. I said no, I only renamed it. It's like we just have them listen to this episode where we we've given clarity that you you did not do that you it was not do me. not shoulder that responsibility. No. <laughs> so I gotta ask this question. I ask all my guests get this question. Coffee, gig harbor, where to go? Coffee, gig harbor, where to go? Uh well, Cutter's Point, probably. Are you a coffee fan? Uh, yes. <laughs> you, you can okay. come to my kitchen and you will see. <laughs> okay. So if you go to Cutter's Point, what would be the beverage that you would most likely order? Uh, well, I'm kind of, a, I, I don't order things with a lot of stuff in them. So I either go for espresso or a mar- Americano. Okay. I'm just. Right. As you should. Yes. That was, I don't no, need no. all that don't, other Don't stuff. apologize. <laughs> That's no, that's that's coffee as it should be consumed in my opinion. Okay, where's a great place around Greg Harbor for lunch that I might not have heard of? I mean, there's the there's the there's a couple of places in the harbor that you know have really great name recognition, which are great. But something that's a little, yeah. Is there is it you got a secret little place that's? Oh, I don't know if it's to go? secret, but there's a new Thai restaurant that I, is awesome. I don't know okay. how much of a secret it is. Well, hopefully it's not a secret because it won't be in business if it's a secret. <laughs> yeah, That's it's, the, you it's, know, they do need publicity. It's called um, Thai Harbor, Gig Harbor Thai Cuisine, and it's actually fairly near the the longstanding Thai hut, but it moved into a place of the former Marketplace Grill, um, and their food is awesome. I mean, and I love Thai food, so okay. I was 
pretty inspired. Okay. So it stands up. All right. When you're not doing all these things where you're creating events to run and negotiating with the county for land use and, you know, (laughs) turning nine acres into, you know, all of those simple fun tasks, what do you like to do for fun and recreation? Uh, Well, I play squash. I still like to play squash. Um, Okay. It's getting a little bit hard on my body as I get older, but, um, but I do that. I kayak, I go hiking. I, I live on a little piece of water, which if we get our boat out at just the right time of day, we can get under the road and out into the, out into the sound. Um, okay. So yeah, I love to travel, but sometimes COVID has kind of changed that. And uh, anyway, it Traveling doesn't seem like fun anymore. It's the, not the as logistics much fun. Of, <laughs> yeah, the logistics of transportation have, they've, yeah, that's changed in a negative way because of Yes, COVID. and I, I did a lot of, um, I wouldn't exactly say it was traveling. I did a lot of flying back and forth between Minnesota and Washington um, during the pandemic because my sister was very sick and it was not was not at all fun Um, traveling three and a half hours with your mask on suddenly, you know, being in, even if you could get a first class seat, it really didn't matter. You had a bigger seat, but you had no food. (laughs) Yeah. You had no food. You're still wearing a mask and you're still, you're still breathing recirculated air and it's not a, yeah, we were supposed to go to a wedding in Thailand and then we're, like, okay, though well, that's not going to happen because I'm not going to spend <laughs> basically all of my time in quarantine. <laughs> right. Right. No, that's not. All right. So I have two, I'm experimenting with a, to, to wrap up questions. So the, the standard wrap up question is what didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? Hmm. Gosh. I don't know. I, I don't know. But maybe the question everybody else asks me, are you nuts? Like, do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, the, I do the risk have, of asking I, that question. I actually have my own firm. This is stuff that I do as a volunteer. This is all volunteer work, yeah. right? Everything we've talked about is volunteer work. But see, here's the thing. If you ask a, a busy person that question, there's a 50, not even 50, there's a risk of offending them. Are you nuts is not something you should you say in polite company to somebody you don't know very well. But since you've opened the door, um, how do you do it? How do you keep lots of everything? Coffee. Lots of coffee. Okay. <laughs> you're, because it sounds like you're spinning a lot of plates. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. coffee, um, I guess the ability to still function semi, semi well <laughs> with little sleep. Okay. All right. All right. So then the last question. Now play along, please. Cake or pie and why? Hmm. Well, if I answer cake, it's only because I like the frosting. Because I don't eat the cake. <laughs> okay. So I guess pie. Pie. Okay. 
and berries. I love berries. Why? Okay, so let me ask you this question: You don't eat the cake. Why? Um, because I like because I like that really horrible high sugar frosting. <laughs> okay, so so. No, it has nothing to do with gluten. Okay, because all right, so you just you like frosting. I like frosting, and it's probably the worst okay. part of the cake for you. So. Um. I'm sure it actually isn't probably. I'm sure it is, but it's okay. So you, you you like the sweet, sugary frosting. Okay, but pie, and you said berry. So you'd go with like a, a berry pie. Yeah, or or apple apple pie. But okay, I, I usually go for whatever I can make from my garden. So I, okay. I have blueberries, and I have apples, and I have lots of... Uh, Blackberries. Okay. So, well, you have a part of your organization cleans up invasive things. So, couldn't they come and get your blackberries? Yes, for you? they could. Are... <laughs> but I, I pick them and I make jam or I freeze them or. Uh, okay. Put them into pies. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I'm looking forward to. I think. I I think I have my calendar. I actually have the 24th is a, is a day I can travel. And I think I'm going to do my, my, I, I can't say I think I'm going to do my best and that's, that's kind of a discount, but I'm going to do my best to attend uh, this year's event. All right. It sounds like, well, it's cider and uh, that's in my, my wheelhouse, but you've got food and music. So those are, you know, two other things that I kind of enjoy. And uh, it'd be kind of fun to run into some of the people uh, yeah, some, that's some been, of your, I think your, that's a definitely yeah. been a positive. There's some great characters that we've met along the way. So, and, yeah. and, yes. you know, they've the cider industry is friendships. So yes, the cider industry has some, some really interesting folks in it. That's for certain. So, um, yeah, cause I realized, you know, you were naming names. And I go, I've had them on the show. I've had them on the show, had them on the show, had them on the show. I should go see them all. <laughs> you know, it's like, they're all, they're all kind of like in one location to go say hi. Right. Um, so, but, so thank you for taking the time this afternoon to sit down with me well, and thank you. I look forward to continuing to follow Cider Swig and your foundation and see how you guys can help the Gay Harbor area. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.